last time on Eclipse. Do you happen to see my body laying about anywhere? We found your shitty closet. We're just going to keep looking around and we'll let you know what we find. You will see a device in which my shell will be encased. That guy does not seem awesome. And though you have destroyed your crystal coil, that one burst of energy was enough to release whatever lock it had on the system. Welcome to Eclipse, a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy thriller. I'm Jeremy Fair, and I'll be your Dungeon Master. I'm Adam Dweiss, and I will be your Illithid cleric, Dr. Shepard. I'm Megan Kelleher, and I will be your human monk, Ava Elkin. I'm Rob Clark, and I will be your Warforged Artificier, Info Fuscat. I'm Whitney Mullins, and I'll be playing Lita Nove and ASMR Bard. And I'm Patrick Collins, playing Kanan Vergest, the tiefling wild magic sorcerer. So as the crystal coil overloads the mechanical systems, you hear pressure release as that glass capsule opens up on top. And now that the semispherical chamber has been opened, you can absolutely see that the large metallic sphere inside is exactly what you thought it was. It's a very large, almost bronze-colored mechanical sphere, and it seems to have these iron-like straps on it that are bolted in. And you see a lot of intricate engravings that are printed into the sides of the sphere. They um, look, in a lot of ways, they look similar to the engravings that were on some of the walls that you were investigating. And as this happens, info you still hear that uh, incessant screeching of the rust monster behind you. It is currently levitating in the air because Dr. Shepard is holding it up in the sky trying to buy you as much time as possible. But there are still two other rust monsters on the other side of the room who are very much engaged in combat with Ava. Speaking of which, Ava, it is now your turn in initiative. What would you like to do? I think I'm going to do an unarmed strike. Uh, Let's see. Oh, nat one. Come the fuck. Come on. <laughs> yeah, natural one absolutely misses. I'm going to, I guess, a bonus action um, flurry of blows. See if I can. Okay, so that's a 21 to hit. You managed to punch this rust monster right inside of its uh, very metallic-like carapace. And upon doing so, you actually absorb some of the magical energy that this creature has absorbed from dining on different magical objects throughout its lifetime and you are able to regain a little bit of health. Is there anything else you'd like to do? Uh, Nope, that's it. All right, then we go to Lita. Lita is currently in the center of the room. Lita, you are about 
uh, 10 feet away from Kanan, and all your other allies are closer to 20 feet away from you. You are also about 20 feet away from really all three of these rust monsters, so you are not currently in imminent danger. What would you like to do? So Lita is going to run about... 10, 15 feet closer um, to where Ava is and then cast Kirwins. So Lita comes sprinting out from behind one of these uh, giant dilapidated stone chairs that are circled around the center of the room and you're able to uh, manage to avoid the rust monster that is currently fighting Ava and you are able to cast Cure Wounds. Perfect. Um, it does 8 healing. And now we go back to Info. Info, you have just put that crystal coil into the top mechanism and it kind of overcharged and then surged and it blew up your crystal coil. Now it did manage to give enough energy to the machine that it did open the chamber and release that uh, that mechanical sphere like you intended. However, you are down a crystal coil. You have a rust monster that is floating in the air, still very much wanting to devour your flesh. What would you like to do? I'm going to just shoot the one that's floating in the air with my crossbow. Oh, God. It's a seven. So you knock the bolt to your crossbow and you fire that first one. So this thing is writhing and kicking its little legs and trying its best to escape. You know, even though it's it's away from you, it's one of the most terrifying things you've ever seen. It literally only consumes things made of what you're made of. And that crossbow bolt goes flying right past it. It does not quite connect. Laddie. I need you down here. We need to get ready for when this other th- thing drops down on us. I don't want it dropping on my head without some backup. And so Ronnie's going to position himself down at the bottom of the stairs there. So Ronnie uses his uh, tread wheels and slowly rolls himself down to the bottom of the stairs next to Kanan. Dr. Shepard, what are you doing? Uh, so I'm going to pull out my very dangerous and very bad x-ray gun. And I'm going to go ahead and just fire off a guiding bolt, a.k.a. Uh, a bad x-ray at and that's going to be an 18 to hit. This bad boy shot I just fired off happens to do 17 points of radiant damage. You can hear it hissing and screaming and making that really obnoxious sound with its mandibles. And you are certain that this thing does not have much time left on this moon. That's what I like to hear. Then we will go to the rust monsters themselves. So this one that has just been hit by your radiant ray gun is very very hurt however it has kind of gone into some sort of panic survival mode it is very much uh fight or flight and it begins to notice that you know it's surrounded by people this attack came from somewhere behind it it's not really sure what to do and it's going to just leap right at ava in a sort of last ditch effort and it it attacks for a 15 it does not hit All right, so you've played a lot of Skip It as a kid. You're able to just jump right over this thing as it swoops its big front claw-like arm. And it's going to go for a second attack, but this time it's going to attempt to bite you in the heel with its mandible. That's my weak spot. (laughs) And that one's only a 12. Also doesn't hit. All right, so it is in so much pain that it cannot even concentrate. It is not really sure what it's doing. It's just trying to survive at this point. The one that is a little bit further away is going to skitter forward and it is going to actually attack Lita. So Lita, this thing runs at you just like the other one. It kind of swings one of its long claw-like arms. This one only rolls an 11. That's not hit. And then it too will try to bite you with its mandibles, getting a 14. 
That does it. All right, so you managed to lift your foot up just in time to dodge the sweeping blow where it was trying to, really it was trying to break your ankle and drop you so it can begin to attempt to devour you. However, you were too quick for it, but it does manage to latch onto your foot with one of its mandibles, and unfortunately, you will be taking 10 damage as it hits you with a pretty gnarly bite. Ow! The other one that's in the air, does it get to do anything, Adam? Is there a save or some, something it can do? No, and uh, somebody in a, I think it was an, an episode of NBA, also used uh, Levitate, and it's pretty wild. So if they lose that first save, it really sucks for them. So it is a concentration spell, up to 10 minutes for me. This is the, the warding of it. One creature you can see within range rises up vertically up to 20 feet and remains suspended for the duration. Bell can levitate a target up to 500 pounds. An unwilling creature that succeeds on the con save is unaffected. The target can only move by pushing or pulling against a fixed object, which allows for it to move as if it were climbing. You can change the target's altitude by 20 feet in either direction on your turn. If you're the target, you can move up and down as part of your move, like if I used it on myself. Otherwise, you can use your action to move the target. And it just says when the spell ends, the target floats gently to the ground. But nowhere on there does it say like it can repeat its saving throughout the end of its turn or anything. Okay. So we would move to the third rust monster. However, Dr. Shepard is still keeping this creature levitating high into the air where it's just uselessly kicking its arms and snapping its mandibles, but it is unable to do very much from up there. So that will bring us back down to Kanan. Kanan, what would you like to do? You are now standing at the bottom of the stairs next to Rodney, and all of your allies are engaged in some sort of combat, except for Info, who is just trying not to get electrocuted. So this rust monster that's floating in the air off to my left, is does this creature look like it's taken a lot of damage? Yeah, it looks like it has been pretty severely injured. Um, like the ones outside, it's kind of lightly dripping that light bluish liquid that um, must be its equivalent of blood. It it certainly looks like it's pretty rough for wear. So seeing this one's not doing great and it's floating in the air and Lita and Ava are across the room from me in the middle of this combat, I am going to begin to cross the room, moving a full 30 feet. Yeah, with 30 feet, you're able to make it directly across the room right to this corner that is directly behind this rust monster and from your position you're actually flanking it okay assuming you wanted to attempt a melee attack if you want to kind of stay ranged you're certainly welcome to not move your full speed but if you do want to use all of your movement you can make it across the room okay i'd actually hold off so i'm not right up against him i would cross the room moving about 25 feet and as I'm moving across the room I'm going to shoot a firebolt back over my shoulder at the rust monster that's floating in the air alright so that's 11 to hit Uh, an 11 unfortunately is not going to be enough to hit this levitating rust monster okay well then I will just stand there feeling a little defeated and prep for my next move alright so just after Kanan attempts to fire this firebolt across the room, we go back to the top of the initiative order with Ava. I, I want to help uh, Lita, but first things first, I got to uh, I gotta take out this glowing boy, so I'm going to make an unarmed strike um, for, that's going to be uh, 19 to hit. Okay, 19 hits. That'll be for uh, 
Um, six damage. All right, what does it look like as you hit this radiating rust monster and you manage to kill it? I'm picturing like at the end of Beauty and the Beast when the beast like explodes in light and then he turns into a beautiful prince, but instead of turning into a beautiful prince, this rust monster uh, just disintegrates into a pile <laughs> of rusty bits when I punch it. The director's cut ending. Yeah. It's a good punch. It's a good punch. That's it's how the author is intended. Beauty and the Beast to end. It's true. Yeah. Well, you know, they thought it was a little too violent, but, uh, you know. And they're like, well, what about Chip? Oh, yeah, I guess we'll have everyone survive. <laughs> no, yeah. Even Gaston, it's like, we don't know. We don't know what happened to him. But uh, anyway, I'm going to take a bonus action and uh, do another unarmed strike at uh, the one that is currently latched onto Lita. Oh, I got a nat 20. Okay. I want to see this damage because it might be enough to kill it. Okay, so, um, so it's going to be 10 damage. All right, 10 damage. So I was wrong. It was not quite enough to kill it, but you certainly are putting this thing close to death. You are injuring it, and it is realizing it is probably not going to escape with um, both of you ladies on either side of it. Would you like to do anything else? Uh, nope, that is it. All right, then we go to Lita. Lita, you just watched as Ava has punished this creature pretty severely. It is absolutely injured. What would you like to do? Um, I would like to try to just whack it with my staff. All right, go ahead and roll. That is a 19. Yes, 19 hits. That is four. All right, so you hit it for four bludgeoning damage. Um, You see all four of its legs kind of sprawl out as the chest of its body collapses to the cold ground. It is not dead, but it looks like it is struggling even to hold up its own weight. Perfect. I am going to use healing hands on myself to recover three hit points. All right. So after Lita is able to hit this rust monster and then heal herself, we move to Info. Info, what are you doing? Info will move over a little bit closer say he's within melee range should he be lowered down some as i am putting a bolt in my crossbow to go for another attack here i'm gonna look over at shepherd and go laddie do you think you could lower him a little bit for a wee bit of pinata time <laughs> and then i'm gonna shoot my crossbow at him in the meantime 19 to hit yes 19 will hit i would hope so five damage all right, so you shoot this crossbow, and even though this creature is made of metal, a Warforged was created to fight. Unfortunately, other Warforged were also created for battle, and though that was a long time ago, the weapons that you're accustomed to using are intended for damaging other metallic beings, and this um, arrow that you have, man- this crossbow bolt that you have, manages to pierce right into the side of this thing. It lets out a pained cry, and though it is not dead, it is looking even more pathetic than it was a few seconds ago as it just struggles to survive in the midair. And then I'm going to yell over to Rodney, Laddie, go help Leda. He just kind of revs up his treads and peels off with a little and he's going to roll over here. And he has 40 foot movement speed, so it should be able to get him right to melee with that guy. Yep, Rodney's able to make it across the uh, ground of this temple pretty easily, despite the bits of stone and rubble. His treads uh, help him out pretty well. I mean, he was designed to provide coffee to anyone in need on a battlefield, so uh, this is nothing for him. It's the job he was born to do. 14 to hit? Okay, 14 hits. So, five damage. So he's going to use his little tamper thumbs and just grab onto this thing and, like, crunch down like a lobster cruncher thing. 
Well, not only does he manage to crunch down on this thing, but Rodney actually kills this thing. I think Rodney has spilled more blood than anyone in the party. That's about right. That's our Rodney. What does it look like as Rodney crunches down on this thing hard enough to end its life? Rodney's going to like latch on and his little tampers are going to click, 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 like ratcheting down as the pressure builds up. And you just start to hear this like crunching, like if you use the nutcracker thing on a lobster, his little eye lights turn red and he lets out a as the lifeless corpse falls out of his hands. Yeah, he manages to just crack its legs, despite being made of metal, crack it like a lobster shell. And um, with the blood that it's already lost throughout the battle and the vast amount of blood that is now spilling all over the floor of this temple, it only takes a few seconds for this thing to collapse to the ground and become motionless. That leaves only one more rust monster, which is levitating in the air and also looking terrible condition. Dr. Shepard, you see that the rust monster that you have levitating in the air looks like it's going to die at any moment. It has that giant crossbow bolt protruding from its side. What would you like to do? Obviously, Info asked to lower it and kind of got in a position under it to uh, whack with Pinata. I'm gonna hesitantly lower it down. I'm still, I'm kind of worried about it because I'm worried that, you know, it might get a swipe on Info, but I will start to lower it. That actually on Levitate doesn't like cost anything, just once per turn I can lower it 20 feet. So I'm gonna lower it 15 feet, so it's like 5 foot above Info. Kind of dangling right there, pinata height perfect. However, I'm also going to uh, raise up my Velcoil staff and I'm going to let loose a magic missile from that. So that is going to be just six points of damage from my spell coil staff. Six points of damage is enough to erase this thing from existence. So what does that look like? So as I as I hold it up, it's just you know I I hold it kind of like a like a wand in like Harry Potter, um, even though it's a full size staff. And then just from the tip of it, just the spell coil is able to erupt this pretty bright, vibrant pink magic missile from the end of it. And as soon as it hits into this rust monster, I picture it kind of like a cartoon because it's already hovering in the air right above Info. So sorry, Info, you're going to get a little bit of uh, rust on you because I'm kind of picturing it going into it and exploding it out in like a shower of rust. And all the rust just hangs in the air just for a second, like a wildly coyote cartoon. And then just all falls to the ground uh, around and a little bit of on Info. All right, well... As you manage to kill this thing, most of it, like you said, kind of explodes in a sort of way, but the rest of it just falls to the ground, making loud clanging noises as the rusted bits of its metallic body now litter this already debris-covered floor. And the room returns again to that long, kind of cold silence. And the only noise you can hear is the soft howl of the Arctic wind outside. And with that, we will take a break to thank our sponsors. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy, and I just wanted to take a moment to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Abide Asteria. So Abide Asteria is this brand new tabletop role-playing system, and it is unlike 
any tabletop game that I have ever played before. So you actually don't even use dice. This is a card-based system, and you don't need to buy, you know, some Abidasteria cards and then buy some new ones with an expansion or anything like that. All you need is a standard deck of playing cards, and you are ready to play Abidasteria. On top of that, Abidasteria is 100% free. All you need to do is go to AbideAsteria.com, and they have everything you need to get started right now. I'm talking quick rules, character building, class options, race options, everything that you can think of is right there on AbideAsteria.com. They even have character sheets that you can use so that you can play the game right away. It is a super, super awesome system. It's very innovative. It is a combination of both sci-fi and fantasy elements. It really hits all the different points that I'm looking for when it comes to playing a tabletop role-playing game. Jorundu and I actually had the pleasure of being able to test this game out the other day, and I'm telling you everybody, I am not exaggerating when this is one of the most innovative and one of the most fun tabletop role-playing systems that I have ever played. When you go to AbideAsteria.com, they have all the rules for you right there, 100% free, very well organized, very, very easy to get through. It's extremely approachable. The game and player's guide is also digital, so it has these built-in hyperlinks where anytime it's referencing something in the text, you just click the link and it takes you to that part of the document. It was a whole lot of fun and you really need to go check it out. Once again, that is Abide Asteria and you can find that at AbideAsteria.com. And we return. So after you have defeated all of the Rust Monsters, you are once again left in this silent, quiet, abandoned temple. And info, you are now standing next to the mechanical device where you have managed, at the cost of one of your crystal coils, to free this large metallic sphere. What would everybody like to do? We are no longer in initiative. Uh, Ava's going to take out Apricot and make sure she's okay, but she is, thankfully. Uh, thanks, Lita. That was, uh, that was nice. You too, Rodney. I've been humiliated that I needed help at all, but it's good to know that I have it. Uh, Lita will look down at Rodney and be like, Oh, thanks, Rodney. Uh, you really helped me out back there. I've been humiliated that I needed help at all, but it's good to know that I have it. No, I've definitely got your back. You're kind of badass, so we need you. Kind of? That's it? No, like, super. But, like, I didn't want to oversell you, you know? I'm okay. That's fine. After rushing all the way across the room and then watching a robot destroy the monster I was getting ready to fight with and feeling a bit underwhelmed in himself, Kanan will just kind of look back across the room and then look back to you, the the two ladies that I'm nearest, and, well, I guess you guys didn't need my help over here. Uh, that's cool. No, we definitely needed your help. Info, one of the things you noticed, and you were a bit distracted by the rust monsters and trying to get this mechanical sphere out of whatever this machine is. I mean, you didn't really have time to mention it until now. Due to your hypersensitivity of these rust monsters, you noticed that what they were feasting on in the center of the room is not only just a collapsed piece of rusted rubble, but there actually appeared to be some sort of, well, it actually looks a little bit like you. You see a large bipedal creature of sorts. It is shaped in an anthropomorphic form. However, it seems to be crushed by this giant collapsed piece of stone in the center of the room. The proportions of this thing look much bigger than yourself, 
though it is hard to see its upper body, you do see its legs kind of sticking out like the Wicked Witch of the West or something. And it is very much covered in rust. Now that you have a second to actually kind of focus on it, you do realize the rust monsters were feeding on this body, whatever it may be. Ah, oh, laddie, you poor bastard. What a hell of a way to go. Uh, it looks like they were eating a, another a, a feller here that looked a bit like a warforged like myself. Uh, I don't know what, what, where he came from, though. Uh, do you think we could maybe uh, look into seeing if there are any more of these fellows around? Do we think this is Tucker's body? Mm, Tucker. Yeah, Tucker. You there? Yes, I am here. You have done well to fend off those things. Thanks. Hey, what does your body look like? Respectfully. Mm, Well, my last shell is nothing more than rusted powder. But the one I kept safe in its chamber is a large sphere covered in iron. Bring it to me so I may explore this place with you and help you on your quest. Thanks. I, I now I now feel like you already said that to us and I, I asked you again, but that's, thanks for the refresher, you know, because we had a fight and I tend to forget things when I'm punching. Uh, okay, so this Warforge, I'm going to walk over and I'm going to return to info his, I believe he gave me his, his Magicom, right? To, to lure over the dogs. They're not dogs. They're rust monsters. <laughs> Why are they dogs in my head? A hand axe. Oh, it's a hand axe. Okay, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna return the hand axe then. Um, and Steve was just holding your hand the whole time because he's the big baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna return the hand axe, and uh, I'm gonna say so. I, I don't think that this poor warforged was th- the body, or is it? I don't know. It was the previous one, maybe? I don't know. Shepard and Ava will remember that in the other room where it looked like this metallic sphere might fit into the ground into some sort of control panel, on the southern end of that wall, you saw a large being that looked just like this. It seemed like a 10-foot-tall mechanical being. It kind of looked like a rudimentary version of a warforged. There are things on Torel that are like clockwork guardians the main difference is that they're they're certainly not nearly as complex as a warforge and they also lack sentience they normally just follow whatever they're programmed um, or verbal command is this looks like the lower half of one of those that you saw in the other room and the one in the other room was fully intact but apparently there's a, a like a new model sphere somewhere around here I would like to investigate the circular sphere thing that I unlocked and see if there are any sort of panels or hatches or any way that I can get into it and its inner workings. So you begin to look at this sphere. Are you going to try to remove it from its place where it's set in the ground, or do you just want to observe it from where it is? If it if it's already, like, if it looks like it's detached, then I'll go ahead and just pull it out so I can roll it around and look at all of it. But if it looks like it's still attached in there somehow, then I would just be looking at it and how to detach it and such. So it certainly looks like it's fitting into the hole. About half of it is submerged within the chamber that it fits into and the upper half of the sphere is sticking out of the ground. It is quite sizable. It's about maybe six feet or so in diameter. Just the portion of it that's sticking out of the ground rises up a good three or four feet. 
Um, it's very large. You might be capable of carrying it, but it would most likely require at least more than one person. When you're looking at this, this thing seems very well designed. You're noticing that it, it is a sphere, but it doesn't look solid. It looks like it has a lot of different parts that maybe fold in on itself to where um, it just makes a perfect sphere shape when it's all kind of in its most compact form. Um, there are parts that look like maybe they extend or fold out. You see different sockets and things like that where it looks like things can be inserted. Um, but the major thing that stands out to you is that because it was protected in this little glass chamber, it is pristine. It has not been damaged by time or by rust. Um, it looks... I mean, even the metal itself looks valuable. Um, it's a it's a pretty impressive piece of technology. Looking at it, you're not really sure what it is, only that it is very well crafted, and it looks like whoever designed it knew exactly what they were doing. All right, everybody, I don't know exactly what this thing is, but it looks big and like a right heavy piece of metal here. Uh, I'm going to see if I can pop the hood and see what makes her tick real quick. I'm going to start looking at some of those sockets and stuff. Are any of them, how big are those sockets? Are they like finger sized? Like, could I put my finger in the hole or uh, should I do an investigation check maybe? Yeah, why don't you make a tinkerer's check to see if you're able to figure out a way to get into this thing. The way it's designed, it's uh, you know it's kind of like an iPhone. It looks like perfect, and unless you've been trained as an engineer, you don't know the different ways to open it up. It almost looks seamless, but being a mechanical artificer or engineer, you do know there's always a way. Okay, let me see here. 17. So looking at it with a 17, you do see that some of the different sockets and things some of them do look like perhaps that maybe a finger could fit in there so and though most of it seems to be like you would need very specific tools in order to get inside and really figure out how it works you are able to recognize that there does seem to be a portion on one side of it that cuts out into like a sort of rectangular shape and it looks like maybe that part can somehow be removed or maneuvered in such a way that it comes off. Laddie, can you use your your weird force powers there and maybe give this thing a wee bit of the boosty boost? Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and use a spell slot to try to levitate it out. Okay, so as uh, an elithid homebrew class, you are able to use a first level spell slot instead of a second level spell slot and cast levitate. So, it's close. Um, your limit on levitate is 500 pounds and this is close, but it is less than 500 pounds because you do feel it start to slowly rise out of the socket in the ground where it is resting. Uh, so as it's levitating, since I can probably kind of tell that it's getting pretty close to max, but now that it's uh, floating in air, I can kind of move it up and down, and if we need to move it anywhere, we're able to kind of push it to where we need it to go. Yeah, this sphere rises about three or four feet in the air, and now it is just floating in front of you, Info. How do you do this? With your hands? Because it's an innate ability and not using your technology? Me? Uh, yes. So this is actually a fully on mental, like a uh, like a psychic ability that's just inert in all illithid and mind players. So this is completely just mind power psychic. Okay. So Info, you just see Dr. Shepard like staring at this thing. A few of his tendrils are kind of like 
pointing up in the air, and it looks like maybe he's somehow focusing some sort of psionic energy through them. But this sphere is now levitating directly in front of you, and you're, it's much easier for you to investigate it and to have access to it. Uh, he'd be really, really useful to have around a mechanics bay uh, so that you could access things as you're repairing them. Unfortunately, he decided to work in medical. What would you like to do, Info? All right, Lottie. Keep her steady. Keep your, your face testicle things there on the focus so I can crawl under here and take a good look. Mm, tentacles. That's what I said, Lottie. All right, let me get under here. Mm. I'm going to crawl under there and kind of uh, look up and under it and check out all the little spots and everything just to make sure there aren't any other sort of locations that I didn't see because you said that the rectangular thing was on the top part, right? Well, because it is a sphere, I, I suppose that's a, a matter of perspective. Most of the sides are identical. So when you're looking at it from all the different angles, a lot of it has a lot of symmetrical designs. Um, the little insert holes that you noticed are very symmetrical where there's one on one side. It's, it's pretty much in the same spot on the other side. But yeah, it does seem like you are able to find a sort of center to this thing and that seems to align with where this this kind of flat uh, plate is and it does seem like the plate can be moved somehow you're not really sure how it worked but it does seem like that might be how you access whatever the innards of this device are. Okay then I'm going to try and uh, pop that, that cover off to see if I can take a look at what's inside of this thing. Go ahead and roll an engineering check. 19. So with a 19 you are able to get some of your tinkerer's tools into the little crevice where you can start to pry it. You do feel that it's a very tight fit. Even the most thin of your mechanics tools are having a difficult time fitting into this crevice. How do you want to go about it? You feel like you might be able to force it open, but it might damage the device. Uh, However, you have managed to get this in there and it does seem like one of the only spots on this entire sphere that look like you could have, have accessed it so it's up to you how you would like to proceed uh, Tucker sounds less and less trustworthy every time he says trust me so I'm going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> I'm not worried about if he gets any brain damage or anything so let's just go ahead and pop this baby open can Tucker see us have we ever established that if he, he's like omnipresent I don't know he talked to you guys and he basically ignored him I wonder if he's watching uh yeah, I feel like he maybe wouldn't like us doing this, but I don't disagree that we want to know what it does. He'd probably tell us to stop. I feel like he I feel like he can see us. I feel like he's just watching us the whole time. Okay, make a strength check. 13 on strength. You feel like it's barely giving with a 13th strength check, and it's like kind of flexing just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, you feel like you're going to have to apply some extra force to pop this thing off. Do you want to give it a shot? I'm going to call Rodney and Steve over. We're going to three-man this. Okay. So Rodney, Steve, and Info all apply all of their strength, their knowledge, their mechanical efforts together, and you give this thing one really hard pull, and your tinkerous tool snaps in half. I shite. Steve, stick your wee little dangly, dingly little metal fingers in there and see if you can pry it with your little wee little fingers. Rodney. Just sit there and look cute, I guess. You got them big gangly fingers. They're like sausages made of metal. Rodney has no choice but to look cute. Meanwhile, Steve, Steve moves forward and attempts to put the, I don't, I mean, what does Steve's like fingers look like? 
I know previously you described them as cartoonishly large, <laughs> so I do not think, I think long. that they will fit into this into this because the tool you used was very thin. Rodney's are cartoonishly large. Steve's hands Steve's fingers are great for holding Ava's hands. We know that. Steve is the uh T one thousand little tendril arms. Okay. So he's got those little like liquid metal fingers that just slide in there. Okay. So he manages to slide them in there and um, you can go ahead and, and make his own check try to pry this thing off if you would like. Uh, actually, I was hoping to have him wrap his little fingers really tight around it and then I'm just going to pull on him and put like a foot up on the sphere and just like crank it. Okay. Steve, hold on. Yeah, Steve fits those little tenderly finger things into the little slots. They are thin enough to where they can fit into these tiny little areas and then you can yank on him and see what happens. Oh, sweet baby. Come on. It's a three. God. So you're like, uh, and you feel like with all the strength you can muster, even using him as a little bit of a tether, it is not enough. This thing was expertly made. And as an artificer, you can appreciate how well this thing was made because it is very, very hard to get into. Like, unless you got the screwdriver, this thing must have been made by Nintendo or something. You can't open it. Ah, damn it. Oh, well, so much for that. Uh, Tucker, where do we take this bloody thing? So you have located my body, then. Yes, bring it to me, and you will be handsomely rewarded. Um, all right. Uh, where? Where? Where is me? Yes. From where I have kept my extra shell, you will need to head towards the stairs from which you previously descended. Head to the west side of the temple and enter the doors behind the pillar. From there, you will need to head north past my engineering bay and into the area I now call my home. Okay. It is here where I wait for your aid. Where I have waited to reunite with my physical form for so long. You didn't have to make it creepy yeah, there, it's laddie. like the look, tone look at it. is... And the reuniting with the body thing, that just sounds like a... That sounds like a bad dating profile. If you think it is strange, imagine how I feel. Hard pass. Eh, no. No, we won't. It's the only door we haven't tried yet. It's the door by the broom closet we were in. I'm just going to say telepathically to everybody. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he can actually see us. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to have described... Um, <laughs> you know, he wasn't... He was sounded pretty surprised that we had found his body so um that's a plus on our end i think that he cannot see us um we're definitely not giving him the orb correct so unfortunately the telepathy is one-to-one communication so i'm just going to be kind of like looking and locking eyes with them one by one like info then kanan then lita and ava Info just shrugs. And I'm going to, like, hold up with thumbs up and down. I'm just going back and forth, like, 
It's whose thumbs are up and whose are down. Yeah, Lita's definitely thumbs downing. Info's just going to shrug. Ava and Apricot are both thumbs down. That's two votes. I will vigorously shake my head no, having realized my mistake, and then flip my hand upside down. And Rodney just looks sad that he doesn't have thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I thought Rodney did have thumbs. He, they're tamper thumbs, so they always point down. Oh, okay. That's good in this yeah, situation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm now saying this out loud. Let's get going to bring... Tucker, it's orb. Yes, bring me my orb and I will help you to restore the power so you can continue your investigations. Of course, orb, that's a fun word to say. And as you all lie to Tucker about returning his body to him, That is where we will end this episode of Eclipse. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy, your DM. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Eclipse. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did when we were recording it. We had a lot of fun. It's really, really hard to ever stop, no matter how late it gets. The next episode of Eclipse will release in two weeks, so make sure that you subscribe to Eclipse so you never miss any of our episodes. And if you've enjoyed Eclipse, please tell your friends about us. Please go wherever you like to get your podcasts and leave us a review. Those things are super helpful, especially for a brand new podcast. You can keep up to date with all of the Eclipse content by following us on Twitter. That's at Eclipse Pod. We are super, super active on Twitter. And you can also go to theeclipsepod.com where you can learn about our show and our crew and the voice actors that are playing the characters on Eclipse. Eclipse is part of the Majestic Goose Podcast Network, so you'll definitely want to go and check that out as well. We are home to over a dozen amazing podcasts and streams, everything from actual plays to talk shows. We even do a weekly live nerdy craft stream on Twitch, so we really do all of it here at the Majestic Goose Network. We release new content six days a week with shows like Doom Clock, One Shot Onslaught, Halfway to Heroes, Dice Talk, Roll for Weird, and many, many more. So go to MajesticGoose.com and check out all that awesome stuff that we're doing. Check out our streaming schedule and come say hi to us. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next time on Eclipse. A Majestic Goose podcast. Oh.